Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Stormy weather Gonna kick all trouble Out the door Beat out old trouble on the Welcome to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now, don't despair. If you're caught in a compromising position in the next hour or so, the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Today, we are doubly blessed. Poor old Dale was not able to come in, and in her stead steps in a 3CR icon, an icon to 3CR, <laughs> Leanne. Good afternoon, Leanne. Good afternoon, Joe. Yeah, that's, that's one of the most wicked, evil smiles I've ever seen of you, Leanne. <laughs> Always you for met you. That, Always you? for you. Always for you. <laughs> yes, all right. Well, fortunately, we don't have to interview Leanne because we did have a conversation with her many, many years ago, and obviously it's somewhere in the podcast. But we are blessed. We are doubly blessed. Not only do we have Leanne in the studio to keep me on, on course, we have a special guest who has to leave at quarter to five because her boss is a bitch, she tells me, is... <laughs> no, she didn't say that to me. Yes, yeah, she did. Of course no. she did. Well, I hope your boss is a listener. She didn't swear. <laughs> you embellished. Well, I always embellish. You know that. <laughs> yeah, I always get to trouble when I come here. And here. <laughs> always. I am speaking to Hannah Asafiri. Very good. Brilliant pronunciation, first up. Well, Thank you. Thank I'm you for having I'm me. I'm one of your mob, you know. <laughs> you, 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 you'll find this out as yeah. we go along. Okay, good. So um, we asked two questions. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's a truncated program. Mm-hmm. First question is, just to give people some idea, what year were you born? 1964. 64. You're relatively young compared to me. You're just, you're just a youngster. Oh, 64. And, and second, yet I'm a you veteran. Drop your pen. Look, just pick up the bloody cap. All right, good on you. All right, she dropped her pen because she's got notes. I mean, you listeners, you know the story. At Radical Australia, we don't use notes. People have got brains. They've mm. got experiences. Mm. Now, the second question we ask, and you've got about 40 minutes to answer this, is what's the first thing that you remember about being on planet Earth? Uh, oh, do you want the long answer or the short answer? Whatever to you that? like, it's your okay. interview. Um, so... 
I hope you're going to ask me more questions as we go. So one of my first memories, obviously, uh, asking why, why are things the way they are and why aren't they better? Who, who did you ask that question of? My parents, mm. my mum. It's like, why? Excuse me, why? Why am I here? Why, in, in the most obviously juvenile and innocent of ways... Why are you here? Yeah, well, like, why? Why, how where, what, how, how why? How are you in your question like this? I, I, I was just, well, look, it's no secret. I guess a lot of people know that I'd experienced quite a bit of adversity in uh-huh. my younger years. Uh-huh. And those things have shaped some of my questioning mm. Um, mm. about why the world is the way it is and why is it that young women and girls in particular have to endure such awful experiences. Right. So I guess, uh, although it's tongue-in-cheek, it's mm. also quite serious, serious. very serious, that's that right. Uh, you ask why and who determines that the plight of a young girl should be one of abuse and mm. trauma and mm. violence. Mm. And did you get any answers? Um, look, often the reliance on culture to me just became such a... I, I began to believe there was such a thing called culture and I, culture. I was yeah. looking for it going, hey, where is it? Can I ask this culture thing? Why <laughs> is it that things are the way they are? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think often when people don't know how to um, respond um, and when they themselves find themselves in situations that are also difficult, um, you know, we fob off questions and uh, make them mm. about culture or community mm. or government right, or whatever right. it is. Well, that's the way it's always been. That's sure, the way it's always that's right. Be. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Did you get that answer? Well, always, yeah. Always, yeah. yeah. Oh, these are our norms. And, um, All right. Yeah. Can, can, can I ask about the culture, the cultural sure. background? Yep. So, um, and I think I said this the other day and proudly claimed it, so um, that my dad's Moroccan, my mum's Lebanese, and mm. my sensibilities are Australian. Right, <laughs> in that regard. In that, yeah, that's right. Were, were in that they, are they religious? Are they still alive? Or? No, both my parents have passed. Are they religious? Were they religious? Um, so in their own version, mm-hmm. yes. So mm-hmm. my dad uh, was a wise man mm-hmm. whose understanding of religion um, was expressed through his wisdom. Um, and I guess I only really began to appreciate uh, his expression after he passed, um, mm. when when others then, you know, I, I butted up against other people's interpretations which were so far removed from his. Mm. And some examples of that, I mean, I'd turn up in a motorbike and Dad right. would go, oh, that looks great, whereas anyone else in our community and culture and uh, from that faith would judge you for being a woman on a motorbike. Yeah. So Dad's version uh, was much more learned. Uh, Mum's, Allah uh, was much more confounded by culture and tradition and the roles of women and what will people say and hearsay, and which was which was really controlling of of women and girls. Um, and and that's because her her version was absolutely unlearned. It was a departure from anything to do with Islam. Yet I didn't know that as a young girl. Right. I assumed that was Islam. Mm-hmm. So, were you born here? Well, is there a slight yep. accent there? Yeah. Oh, come on. No, no, no. no um, how much more accent. Aussie do you want no, me to be, no, mate? No, 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 no. <laughs> so, so, so why did your parents come here? Uh, well, I think like most um, who migrated 
uh, back then uh, in the 50s, my dad, and then followed by my mum uh, probably a decade later, just over a decade later, uh, for a better world, for better opportunities, for mm. better life. Um, and I think, you know, the call at the time, and no matter how awful um, and larrikin our attitude was towards migrants, mm. uh, it was in jest as well, and we looked at migrants as, as people who ben- benefited the country, who That's built right. the country. Mm. Uh, we didn't look at them the way we discuss them now, exactly. as burdens. Yeah, they were, they were necessary, um, either populate or perish after World War II. That's right, and they that's were welcome. right. I so mean, they, came, yeah. they came as part of that wave of, right. of migrants mm. uh, to Australia, but I think also very quickly... Um, the good intention of that project didn't translate to integrating people in a real and meaningful way. So Mm. my mum lived here for many years without really being able to communicate and engage in um, public and systems and and integrate, even going to the bank she needed, and she relied heavily on her kids, which were us. So we became the emotional adults. Yeah, how how many of you were there? A lot. <laughs> a dozen, two dozen. Oh, oh, at least. <laughs> uh, no, we are Cricket six. Team. Yeah, six. Yeah, yeah, we're six. Oh, yes, not yes. even a volleyball. Yes, yes. Just a volleyball. Oh, well, sand volleyball. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, yeah, look. I, I was in the same position. I can remember mm. you take, you go with your mum out. You'd be about eight, and you mm. with the doctor, and it's all this, you know, extremely personal stuff. And, sure. And you're and you're the intermediary basically because. It was difficult, very difficult. Mm. But I, then I, you had to be because that was our normal. I well, mean, we didn't know us. anything no, else. No, and I, remember, I remember I used to do my... Uh, mm. My mum had to sit some compulsory English exams yep. by a post and I had to do them. This was in the <laughs> 50s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. So um, mm-hmm. did your parents ever go back? Yes. Um, so we reached a time where, you know, mum had the volleyball team or whatever team mm. of kids and more and more, um, as I was saying earlier, I think one of the main reasons uh, she needed to go back was she was depressed and she suffered uh, extraordinary depression and isolation and um, and needed a sense of um, community and home and to socialise again and and dad being dad and, you know, mum mm. being mum, he said, okay. Uh, and she was Lebanese, so they took us back to Lebanon. And um, very quickly, for, <laughs> for kids that are born here, and I was very young, four or five mm. when we left, uh, even at that young age, the contrast between... Uh, what we take for granted here, like food on the table and mm. the safety of coming home mm. um, and, you know, making your journey from home to school very quickly, that was not available in mm. Lebanon. Um, Lebanon went through an awful civil war yeah, to varying degrees um, yeah. and intensities. And So at, you were there during that period in the Yeah, service. yeah, and I was not only the emotional adult, I was also, I became the provider in Lebanon? Yeah, because my dad um, had to leave. He was not Lebanese and right. he, um, and there was no work and, and there's no safety net in terms of social mm. security at the time or whatever. So he kind of kept moving and looking for work and going to other countries from Germany to Turkey to Kuwait to, mm. um, in order to provide for the family. And as a result, 
the family went without a lot of things. Mm. Um, so what did you do? What type of work were you doing in Lebanon? Oh, I kid you not. I, I learnt I learnt how to be an electrician. Okay. I learnt how to work in a convenience store. I learnt how to push through queues of uh, the bakery. And all these spaces were... And you only realise it in hindsight. They were occupied by men. Mm-hmm. Women did not venture into those public spaces at all. They relied on the men and said, go get me the meat or the mm-hmm. milk or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and that was the time and the era. Mm-hmm. So I had to navigate those spaces um, and very quickly learn <laughs> how, to, how to move in those mm-hmm. spaces and provide um, in ways that, we would have gone without had it not been for my ability to bring bread home. Um, and how know. old were you then? I was young, anything from six until 12, 12. until we came back. Yeah. And, and this was happening in the midst of a civil war. Yeah, absolutely. So what was Awful. it like for, say, a young woman, like a young girl, 10 or 12-year-old, in the midst of a civil war? Did you, did you think about that a bomb could be exploded or somebody could shoot you or kidnap you or oh, you just I, went on about your business? <laughs> well, I think it, it's more than think about it. We lived it as a reality. Mm. I mean, we were on rooftops seeing snipers uh, kill somebody in the next building. Mm. Um, we saw the pilot inside a, a helicopter or a fighter jet because we lived on the sixth floor and they flew so low. Um, we saw bombs go off, body limbs. Um, our school was often closed and or on strike. Um, even the, the principal was kind of bashed up. Um, so I think we we lived through the reality of, of mm. war um, more so than just thought about it and went. We the, we didn't have the privilege of just going about your daily life. You didn't go. Your family didn't go back because of money or because your mum just really needed to be there. Oh, mum just needed to be there, and then dad eventually. Uh, so dad only stayed really a year and a bit, mm-hmm. and then um, after moving around, found himself back in Australia, and then eventually brought us all back. back. And what was, was it like? You, did you go to primary school and you came back or to high school? Oh no, they couldn't put me in primary school. I was twelve. You were twelve. So um, I <laughs> was. Put in high school. Right. And Let's go back. A, I just want to go back a, just one step. So you spoke Arabic in Lebanon, did yes. you? So what was your English like when Shocking. you came back? None. No, Zip. No, nothing. Nothing. You didn't no. remember a thing. No, not a word. And so you went to grade, was it seven, isn't it? Seven? Year right. 12. Year eight. 12. Yep. yep. Grade, grade eight. eight. Yep. Uh, which school was this? Uh, Preston East. Technical school. Oh, technics. Obviously a technical school. Yeah. You're not very bright, obviously. No, no shocker. They sent, they I was. sent you to the technical yeah, yeah, school. That's yeah. right. So you go to Preston East Technical School. Yep. First day, do you remember? Yeah, of course I do. Tell us about uh, it. Oh, uh, look, um, so for me, very quickly, and, and I think because you become very savvy and you become very um, astute to reading the room, so to speak, mm. reading your environment, um, so for me, it became really obvious the more different you were, the more you were going to get picked on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to withdraw and hide my difference, whether it be in what we ate or not, in the way I spoke. So I didn't speak for a year. Imagine me not yeah, speaking for, for a, a whole year at school. Mm. Um, but, but I would go home and practice pronunciation mm. so that I would pronounce the words when I spoke. Um, in order that it wasn't a source of, you know, making Difference. fun of me. Yeah. And, um, and 
So we used to go to class and I would understand very little. Um, and then we'd go to special English classes where we'd have to sing Waltz in Matilda. To this day, I do not know the words. What? Either because what they're is... absurd or no, I, I know the they're rhythm. Wonderful. Like I know the rhythm. I know how it... Like I can do that, but tell me what the words are. Oops. <laughs> what are the words? Come on, well, let's I can tell you the story. I can tell you the story. Well, I know the story, but yeah, tell me the words. It's a great story. Well, tell me the to, to words. Be I actually, we had a referendum. It'd be a, a, a dude by a billabong. That's I right. mean, I didn't understand. Anyway, well, so, yeah, and, and I most, didn't understand well, it. Most, so. the, most of the people didn't understand the one, two, three, the troopers. Yeah, well, that's right. The like committing like, suicide, the yeah. Shearer strike, 1892. Yeah. No. Nobody understood any of that. It's all and, right. Yes. And I was, I was young and literal. And yeah. it was like, what? So how many years did you last at Tech College? Um, so <laughs> very quickly, uh, just a couple of years, really. And, um, then, and then after that, I was married. Um, how old were you? Uh, <laughs> young, 15. 15, yep. right. Is that legal? Uh, in Australia, it shouldn't be. Uh, yeah. But at the time, you know, this is what you've got to love about Australia yeah. as well, that yeah. we we try... And sometimes we get it so wrong. Um, in it's the culture, baby. It's the culture. We want people to keep their culture. Well, that's right. But when that culture <laughs> is not nuanced and it doesn't yeah. understand gender, yeah. then that version of culture is a misogynist version mm. of culture. So yeah. when we go out and consult those communities mm. and say to them, oh, what are your needs? In the absence of having women, mm. you're always going to get men that say, oh, we need to marry young girls. No, you don't. Mm. Go ask the women. Mm. So uh, thankfully, and I'm hoping we've evolved from that somewhat. I mean, it's still a long way to go, mm. but at least we understand that there's nuance, there's diversity inside cultures, there's genders, there's uh, different sexual orientation, there's different classes, there's different levels of privilege, I hope. Culture (laughs) is just a blanket. Yes. So, yes, I was married uh, at a young age in this country um, under the guise of multiculturalism. Um, um, Legally. Legally, absolutely. Uh, Um, uh, But uh, were, were you willing? Oh, how do you willingly, at 15... That's what I'm saying. How yeah, do you consent exactly, to anything? So, exactly, no, yeah, no, part of the laws at the time mm-hmm. uh, were that your guardian uh, consented on your behalf. Ah, yeah. um, and my guardian consented on my behalf right, and right. therefore, you know, was married again to, to a man who was profoundly violent mm-hmm. and, um, again, very quickly learnt to... You know, this notion of why it seems to kind of be a common thread in my life. It's like, why? Excuse me, what? Why? What have I done? Um, yeah. and, and, you know, I guess you get a sense of me. I'm not about to just be bullied or um, controlled or contained. Engage me in conversation. Mm. I'm happy to have it. Mm. But, uh, you know, this is the way things are. was not going so to have you, much currency. How did you get out of that situation? Um, I left. You just left, bang. At least people wouldn't well, be no. looking for you. Okay, uh, so I left a few times um, and tried to find alternatives. And in the end, um, I guess for me it was leaving and it was an act of defiance much more than an act of uh, desperate need or for survival. attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I took a whole heap of pills and tried to kill myself and just went, you know... 
Uh, no. <laughs> and how old were you then? Uh, 18. And where did you find yourself? Um, what hospital? Uh, Moorabbin. Moorabbin Medical, Medical Centre. Centre. Right. Mm. And did you get the perfunctory, you know, uh, overnight stay and then sent home the next day? No, no. no things I went got, well this time. Oh, right? things went well this time. Right. Um, and... I, I had, you know, they do a charcoal treatment yes, on yes, you yeah, and you whatever, yeah, yeah. all that sort of nonsense. But yeah. at the very least, I think it became an occasion for the first time. My family and mum in particular just went enough yeah. that you can continue to uphold some weird version of culture or have your child. Have your you, daughter back, You decide. Yeah. Um, so she decided that was enough and yeah. it was from there on that my life really began began as I defined it and created it and as I wanted life to be. And so it was how did you want life to be at 18? A life that is just and fair, a life that is... What does uh, that mean, just and fair? I can understand fair. What do you mean just? Just, as in just, as in... Well, well, well we should treat you as an equal or something. Well, yeah, so because well, of my... <laughs> well, because of my upbringing, so I guess those things uh, became really important mm. to me. And mm. equally, I had a profound and intuitive sense mm. of what that looked like, right. that I wasn't about to be... Um, you know, convinced otherwise, where something, if it wasn't just or fair, um, then I would call it out. And So what direction did that lead you in? It led me into working in uh, the women's domestic violence crisis uh, sector, mm-hmm. everything from direct service. Um, and, you know, initially when I first worked there, I just went, this is fantastic. Oh, these people, and I read, um, you know, what the brief, the aims, the objectives, what they were about, and I just went, this is home. The mission statement, this is it. The mission statement, this is home, this is it. And then uh, very quickly, and it is with respect to all the women's services sector, and I'm kind of summarising here, um, very quickly I became the deficit in their politic. I the became deficit. The deficit, the adversary. Hang on, the, hang on, the hang on. <laughs> You're a survivor of domestic violence. Yes. You've, uh, you've got an ethnic background. Mm-hmm. You know, you're an asset. How did you become a deficit so quickly? Well, did you open your mouth or that's something? That's it. That's exactly right. So I, I began to kind of speak about diversity. Um, Excuse me? That <laughs> What's that word mean? Diversity? Well, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of people... People in the radical milieu use a lot of words which people don't understand. You tell me what diversity is. Well, diversity simply is speaking to my lived reality and experience. Diversity is about um, the recognition that I can't separate out the bit of me that is gender from Mm. the bit of me that is ethnicity, from Mm. the bit of me that is whoever it is that I am, my sexuality Mm. or otherwise. But why why would that have been an issue in that? So um, examples of that were um, because those services, and look, they were tussling against a backdrop that was really um, justifying abuse of women and violence towards women. So they were... It was was, was expected. It was expected behaviour, you know? Well, they were trying to provide Mm. services to redress that. Mm. But for me... um, one of the assumptions and expectations is that uh, we can all do the same job, that whether they got Leanne or me or Liz or um, mm. Mary, whoever they got, that that we could all kind of deliver, deliver yeah. the same yeah. uh, service. The lived reality is different. If a Muslim woman rang up, 
mm. I'm much more likely to be able to connect with her, mm. much more likely to be able to, for her to respond mm. to an understanding and to feel a sense of empathy. Mm. Um, so that very quickly began to show some of the um, difficulty not only in our inability to understand difference and diversity, but also uh, that it raised, you know, an inherent conflict in this idea that when women are liberated, we'll deal with all those other issues later. No. Right, right. All those other issues are part and parcel of the conversation. Oh, I love, I love so yeah. I found myself developing an analysis and an understanding of, not that I wanted to, um, of anti-racism and found my mentors in books written by Bell Hooks and Audrey Lord and, mm. and they spoke to my reality much how more old, than how, any feminism did. Twenties, uh, early, early twenties, yeah. Okay, yeah. Right, I can understand why you soon became a deficit because you didn't fit the model. <laughs> I don't fit the model. Well, no, you I, didn't fit the model. You I still don't. I, I still mean, bloody don't. Yeah, a lot of people think there's a model and yeah. we, we all have to fit that oh, model. Oh, there is if you speak to the government there. Well, like I said, yeah. you, you didn't fit the model. Yeah. So how long did you last in that industry? Uh, uh, close to 15 years, well, many, many, many years. Well, a long time to against a brick wall. You should have got out sooner, shouldn't you? No. No? No. Look, it wasn't for ill intent. I think, mm. really, the women's services sector did well. It just, and we still tussle with these issues. Now we call them something else. At the time, we called them NESB women. Sounds mm. like disease. Mm. And then immigrant women. Mm. And uh, now we're called cold women, I think. Cold women. Yeah, cold, culturally and linguistically diverse. We're the same people, people mind oh, you. Right. But, yeah, uh, so we keep changing the language cold, around. Cold women. I've, I've learned something today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cold, cold women. Cold. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's really, and I, I know we're saying some of this in jest, that mm. the women's services sector, when, when a society um, positions its marginalised groups, and women are one of the biggest marginalised groups, but when it positions them in competition with one another, mm. there's no room for the women's services sector to go, oh, hang on a moment, let me go and seek and understand what diversity, what this thing means. Mm. Um, you're vying for the very small amount of recognition mm. that you get and the very small amount of resources mm. that you get. So mm. it's not blaming necessarily no, the... the Sector, um, but it is trying to say we it, need it, to it, elevate. It is exceptionally exhausting work. It is personally exhausting. It, it, it because, is. It because, is. Because in most situations there are no solutions. There are there are pathways mm. by which, but there, there are no. Big but see, solutions, I disagree. Yeah. I think it's exhausting right. because there are solutions and they're simple, yet we choose not to. What um, is a society? As a society, absolutely. Yeah. We right. choose not so to... So tell us some of these simple solutions. Um, well, so fast forward 15 years, left the women's services yep. sector and then opened a place called the Moroccan Soup Bar. Excuse me, you went, you went from providing service, service em- to empathy... To providing service and empathy in, a, in a different... food. Well, it's still service and empathy. If you understood the Moroccan Soup Bar, it's founded on... Hang on, hang on, hang on. Moroccan soup bar. Yes. Moroccan soup, soup bar. bar. Well, <laughs> I have to confess I have been there. Yes. But, so but let, let's, let's go back. Let's go back. What got you to go from that to the Moroccan soup bar? So, um, I obviously, my currency, I think if it hasn't become clear, is social justice yep. and human rights mm-hmm. and support and advocacy for women. Yeah, I think that's pretty um, clear, yeah. So when the service system and sector uh, 
when uh, we had a really conservative government came mm. in uh, under Howard yeah. and it was married up at a state level with Kennett, Jeff Kennett at mm. the time. And it's not that it wasn't expected and we go from conservative to, yeah. you know, Ultra to the other. We, yeah. we, we shift, that's right, <laughs> we shift more and more to the right. But um, it wasn't so much a surprise as, um, I guess, the disappointment in how the women's services sector didn't deal with it um, and how instead of using it as an opportunity to rethink our vision and re-establish a system response that was diverse and nuanced and spoke to, um, instead we began to compete with one another for funding. Because they introduced this thing called unit costing. And so from there, you know, it was simply a safe... um, All right, I want to go back. I want to go back. All right, you're unhappy or you're thinking, why a super? A super. Which is basically a shop. A shop, that's right. Yeah, why why, why a shop? Because... because, What what was the thinking behind this? Okay, because I think women, no matter um, their literacy levels, no matter their level of independence, we have used food um, and cooking as a means to subjugate women. And I thought if we use what they know without asking them, was it Einstein who said you can't measure a fish by its ability to climb a ladder? If we go where they're at and where they're at is they know how to do food and kitchens and and we use that as a platform to then circuit break their cycle of disadvantage and support them through practical means to enable them to work towards independence. Are you telling me you had a philosophy? Absolutely, yeah. And a mission statement before you actually set Yeah, up the, and it was all in my head. It was all... Right. <laughs> Absolutely, because, look, when I say to you that, for me, these things are my reality, mm. they are my perspective on life, that doesn't begin and end nine to five in a job. Mm. It is the way in which... I view the world, and it is a perspective with which I interact no matter who I'm interacting yeah, it's with. Not, it's, it's, it's all very well to be philosophical, but it is hard to start a business. Well, uh, yes, and it was, because especially... It was permits and Yeah, especially at the time, like, yeah. and we didn't have any money, and mm. I kind of took these stubborn convictions to the bank and mm. just went... They looked at you, yes. <laughs> I, I went... You know, I want to set up this business and, and yeah, women yeah. will come and they will cook and uh, yeah. we'll employ them and yeah. it'll be Moroccan and yeah, yeah. it'll be founded on similar philosophies where it's communal, you sit people together and they went, where's your business plan? Well, and I said, well, I don't have one. Yeah. And they said, well, scoop. Yeah. Yeah. So um, whereas for me, we didn't need a business plan. We, yeah, I know, but you we, started it. How did you start it? Well, we went to op shops and kind of just got some eclectic furniture and put it together and made mm. the paint ourselves and put it on the walls. Did you know the person you leased the shop off? Or? No, no idea. No. I was driving past one day and no. just went, and that's how I live life. No, yeah. And there was a sign saying for lease and got out and called the guy and he said, oh, I'll see you in 20 minutes. Mm. So I waited for him and negotiated the deal there and then. So and no I went, agent, just you and the owner? No, me and the agent. And the agent. Yeah, and there and then, and I said, well, Mm. I can't afford that, but, you know, give me that. And in my Mm. mind, it was like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah, we can manage that. Mm. And... And what year was that? I'm the eternal optimist. I know that. You know? You're an activist. You have to be an optimist. <laughs> 22 years ago now. 22 years ago. Yeah, and, and uh, we're still going. In the same place? Exactly the same place. Did you, have you expanded? No, we, we've evolved. Evolved. Can you tell me how it worked? 
So um, essentially that it is now a space and of course we've refined the the objective of what we do and we've grown because the world has changed as well. You're kidding. I mean, well, when we opened, we were peculiar. Mm. We were a place that didn't have credit cards, didn't have coffee machines, didn't have a written menu. Mm. We didn't have meat, chicken, fish. We didn't have any of that stuff. Mm. Um, it was a weird place. It was peculiar. Mm. And back then, when you were peculiar, no, good. back then when no, you were peculiar, you were peculiar. No one came. It was like what? Oh, I should have come. But people did come. Yeah. Whereas now, the more you set yourself up as you know left of centre or a bit quirky, yeah, people like, flock to you. Yeah, like beetroot chai latte and all that. Yeah, that through shit. social media, mm. it, it becomes a trend. And back then, there was no social media. There was no internet. There was mm. no. So it was a massive gamble mm. to. Uh, go from the safety of wage earning and, you know, company car and kind of, mm. um, but I wasn't committed to that because I thought this is in no way speaking to did the needs of women. Did you do this by yourself or did you have any partners at that stage at the beginning? Um, so I did this in spite of <laughs> many people in my life. <laughs> um, and, um, right. and most people in my life, in fact, said, don't do it. Right. And, um, thought, you know, because it's massive risk. Why would you? Mm. Having said that, we had a lot of support and a lot of help from partners and friends and, uh, mm. a lot of people establishing it in the beginning. All right. So how does it run? So it runs by, uh, we sit you at a table, we come in and sit at your table and you shift uncomfortably and go, what the hell happens in this joint? Um, no, we, uh, we sit you communally and for me the, the, uh, principles of hospitality, generosity and community, um, are more important now than ever. Why? So, well, should we go on to what's happening in the world at the moment? Your interview. I just ask uh, questions like you did when you first yeah. started. Like, I'm asking you. <laughs> so why why why, 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 why that a community style? Into- yeah, why that particular style? Um, well, because I'm I'm somebody who genuinely believes that if we can, um, our strength is in our differences. Mm-hmm. Our strength and survival as a species is in our capacity to be curious, mm-hmm. um, and those modes don't just exist by themselves. You have to create those conditions. Mm. And especially at the moment, we are moving in the opposite direction, that people are becoming less and less curious. They are becoming more and more um, retracting from difference. And that is a speak that is encouraged by governments and it's reinforced by media. Mm. So at a local community level, it is absolutely important when putting people together that you are communal, Mm. that you speak to preserving those values that can enhance and and maintain a sense of community harmony. Yeah, it's like going to I remember it's like going to a large Chris family Christmas party. Yes. It's like going and uh, you know, Mum says, Who am I gonna put next to whom? Yes. They don't know. A bit each like other. that, yes, yes, yes. It's a bit like that because it look the time is all right. Oft, it's often four thirty five, the clock is up there. Oh yes, the yes. Events. No, we're good, we're good. We're good, yeah, we're good. Ten yeah, yeah, relax, I'm good, I'm good. Relax, it's it's fine. I just tend to go off on a monologue, but no, yes. no, no, you're not on a monologue. That's my I'm, I'm a monologist. You can ask Leanne. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Put you to shame so, yes. 
<laughs> so, so do you think it's achieved its objective? Because, um, uh, you know... It's, the Moroccan it's easy, it's, it, Look, you can make a profit and you can survive, yeah. but yeah. do you think it's achieved its so, objective? Well, what so look, the objective you have for yeah. it? So for me, our currency has never been monetary, um, although it is a business and it needs to survive, absolutely. Has it achieved its objective? I think you need to ask community, but what I will say is the fact that it is more sought after than ever, that it is a, sp- a space which unapologetically stands by the values um, of strong communities, the values against bigotry and prejudice. Um, and we do that not just visibly because of who we are. We actually take an active stand most nights whilst people are eating. I go, ding, 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 listen up, you people. Today our uh, leaders are speaking in this way, and I'm here to tell you that these spaces are the vaccine against bigotry and hate. And you're welcome to leave if you don't like it, but we invite um, a people to come together and engage in, I think, a platform that makes people feel better about and less anxious about the state of the world. Do you get the same crowd or do you get different people? So we're a destination place Mm. um, or have become so. So people come from all over. They come from Perth, Queensland, Mm. Frankston. Mm. Um, Yeah, they come from everywhere. We're both local and destination place. And I think um, it's the generosity of of community and Mm. of people that have kept us going all this time because... You know, I'm employing women that aren't necessarily um, polished in their skill set either and we're skilling them up and training them up. So, you know, (laughs) sometimes we spill the tea on you. We don't mean to, but people are forgiving. So so, how do you pick your employees? I don't. They pick me. They They, just turn up and knock on the door and say, I need a job. Absolutely. Every day there's somebody. Every day and I've never said no. Never said no. Never said no. How can you accommodate all this? I don't know. I don't know because I think if I don't, who will? And... Mm. Um, that we see it as a springboard uh, for them to do other things, to enable them. And I think especially now that our priority is to Muslim women. Mm -hmm. And I just want to speak a little bit about the climate that we find ourselves in. I mean, over the 22 years, I have seen an increase in not just anti-immigration sentiment, and which is undermining the very multiculturalism of this country, um, but the specific undercurrent of Islamophobia. And that do- isn't just theory, that these things uh, translate practically to women feeling unsafe. And it's women who are the recipients. Well, they're the ones who are obvious. That's right. So they get random attacks on the street mm. when they've done nothing. Instead mm. of being extended compassion, mm. we vilify them. Mm. So... Um, they're the ones I employ in the main. I mean, right. I don't exclude anybody else, no. but I prioritise them. And um, and this sentiment isn't going to fix itself by itself. Yeah. It requires in all of us an advocate to advocate a different world um, and a world that can see ourselves in those causes. Yeah, it's actually difficult in an era when governments you know, are against these ideas and when uh, philosophically... You know, people are against these ideas. It's an exceptionally difficult situation. I remember that in the old days, you know, you have a neighbour, it doesn't matter where they came from, you knock on the door and bring a cake or something and say mm. hello. Today, 
it's not done. It's just well, not done. Well, we even, there are even official organisations in the 50s and 60s to welcome mm. migrants. I mean, it didn't work out Absolutely. brilliantly. But they were there. It was part look, of government policy to look, try to... I, I think I probably disagree a little mm. uh, respectfully. I think people mm. are decent. And Australian, well, one to one they're decent. Australian sentiment, Australian mm. public sentiment and Australian community sentiment... Mm. Um, and, and I guess I lean on that quite a bit, that it is founded on we go for the underdog. We kind of fly in the face of convention somewhat and, and order. Um, mm, and I, we, I wouldn't agree, but that's fine. I think we're conformists. We, well, I think our governments are, and I think there's a distinct difference between community appetite at the moment and disengagement from governments mm. and a government being in closed loop with its media who are telling a different story. Yeah, maybe within 10 k's of the CBD, but if you go outside that area... It's sure, because people game. have been made unsettled. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not arguing yeah, they're unsettled. Yeah. They're very unsettled. Yeah. People are very unsettled. Yeah. I mean, They've been I, made I, unsettled. I've been a doctor for over 40 years and, I, and every time I see somebody, almost every time, they're talking yeah. to me about African gangs. And yeah, that's right. Petrified and you wonder... I say, but there's no Africans <laughs> living that's right. with the of you, you know. But that's yeah. that's precisely my point Listen that we saying, have yeah. made people believe yeah. in the African gangs, Muslims, and their Sharia yeah. law are coming yeah. upon us to take over the country. Yeah. It's Hello, all this yeah. nonsense. Yeah. All this nonsense. Total nonsense. I agree. But that's why we run events at a local level. Mm. Uh, we yeah. bring people together, and mm. I, you know, created an event called Speed Data Muslim, which is mm. run by Muslim women mm-hmm. to engage community mm. in all the stuff that's unsettling them mm-hmm. because if you believe the story without mm-hmm. contest mm-hmm. then that's I'd right, be scared of myself yeah you've got to contest it constantly it's contest 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 but there's no incentive to contest no. that information mm-hmm. why would people go oh what mm-hmm. the TV set is telling me is wrong mm-hmm. Why would they do that? Well, because what you're doing, because you're bringing people together. That's right. That's the difference. So we bring them together and that way they go, oh, Mm. and we need to create those platforms and opportunities for people, Mm. more so, not less so Mm. at the moment. So we do what we can and in Mm. bringing people together also at the Moroccan Super, every now and again you're surprised by some political announcement and, you know, sometimes that some people push back against that. They don't. You know, they're not of the same political persuasion. They don't think in the same way. Like I did a massive campaign for the same-sex marriage mm-hmm. um, that in no way was the process to be celebrated. And I found it awful that a community that I felt I'm their custodian aunt, I watched this community grow and these kids would come in in tears saying today there was a no in the sky and <laughs> be beside themselves. Yes. So I just went, you know what, I'm going to say something. Yeah. So I just went, ding, 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 listen up, you people. Mm. It doesn't matter what you think, that you can absolutely disagree, and especially if you disagree. Yes. You need to afford people dignity and respect. Mm. So you can think no, but vote yes. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's right. Now, look, I know you've got to leave in three minutes. <laughs> look, I'll extend it to five. There you go. You're going to extend it to five? I'll extend it to five. Leanne's left her phone on. Oh, I cannot no. believe it. I cannot believe a but, producer um, leaving their phone on. She's done all the training, been yes, here for decades. It's just yeah. unbelievable. So have you got any... But I want to plans for the future. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I want to say something about the climate crisis mm. because I think um, I think no matter our issues and causes, mm. I guess I want to say two things. Primarily, uh, to begin with and end with, 
that uh, social and community justice, no matter where uh, where you look and what your contribution is, needs to be founded on getting the conversation with the First Nations people right. We cannot, as a country, um, continue to ignore the not only the atrocities, and it's not about blame and it's not about pitting people against each other. It's about leaning into the responsibility that comes with genuine um, endeavour to reconcile and re- go down that path and that journey. And no matter our causes, uh, Muslims, gays, women, that we all have a responsibility in that conversation. And the other thing that I think is absolutely important, um, also without apology or compromise, is the climate crisis. That these things know no political bounds. You're kidding. Oh, sorry to say. You mean don't they just stop at borders? Yeah, no. no. Sorry to say. They don't. And and our our leadership taking a bit of coal to to uh, to Parliament yeah, is yeah. not only irresponsible, um, it's as responsible as our leadership speaking of Muslims in the way they do when mm. Burke Street happens. All those kind of what we say and what we don't say has an impact. And I think at the moment um, the the protest in Australia, and this is where the cause of optimism is for me, the entire globe is shifted to the right to the and, and to re-endorsing the extreme societal inequality. And you see it through electing the most crazy of figures. I'm not even going to name them because they're all the same, whether mm. we're going mm. from Venezuela, Brazil, mm. uh, the US, yeah. across Europe. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Uh, with the exception of Jacinda Ardern. But um, so on the one hand, we're doing that, and most of the protests around the globe are protests anti-immigration. Yet Australia's protest, ironically, and this is where the hope is, um, is more humane. We're for asylum seekers. We're for changing the date and indigenous reconciliation. We're for an anti, um, uh, we're for the climate. We're anti Islamophobia. Um, so I think there's hope in Australia. Uh, there is hope. You must, live, you must live in a different Australia to what I oh, live come in. On, I mean, you've got on. to leave the CBD. No, come no, on, Anna. You have to. You've got you to, have to. I mean, no. I, I saw the tears in Northcote when Morrison yes. was re elected. Everybody yes. thought it was all going to change. But yeah. it's like climate change. Yes. Australia goes beyond. 10Ks of the CBD. Sure, I'm, I'm I mean, talking it, about its people. It's, it's people. people well. It's people's protest. Mm. It's people's protest is uh, is cause for optimism. It is cause for optimism. That, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, as an activist, you've got to have optimism. If, you haven't got, if there was nothing happening, well, there'd be mm. no optimism. That's what feeds us, mm. is optimism. But the there fact. is. Look at the young. And I they're mean, intersectional you know what, yeah, and yeah, they're, you, they're driving change. They and are. I think it's important to... See them well, as the solution. Look, when you were born in 64, I was part of that generation before that, you know, in the, in the 60s and 70s, and we fought exactly the same thing, and look what we've created. So I have optimism, but I'm, I'm a little bit guarded. Mm. Now, Hannah, I'm going to let you go to work. Thank you, yes. Now, I'm going to ask you one last question. Sorry. Now, when you walked in, and I didn't know you and never met you, you didn't know me, you said, I'll do anything for 3CR. Now, why did you say that? 
Well, because I think preserving um, these sorts of platforms, they are, especially in the face where we're dealing with and having to contend with fake truths, that truth is so much under attack. Mm -hmm. And platforms like this are the voice of community, the voice of public, the voice of truth. And I go back to you cannot have justice without truth-telling. Um, and it is so important not to erode the very little that is left. And I looked around, I'm going, you guys need a coffee machine. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> what did you say to, to me? Yeah, yeah. Well, I already said we need to do defibrillator, yeah. and you said but no, I do no, think coffee sponsorship machine. Sponsorship and yeah. the maintenance of these sorts mm. of spaces is so important to community mm. that you speak a voice that is trusted. Um, in our communities and I hope we do whatever we can to keep you on air especially during these times where oh my goodness if you look around mm. the truth is being contested all over the place now Hannah I'm going to do something I normally don't do I only do very gonna... occasionally I'm going to invite you back <gasps> I want you here for an hour awesome I don't yes. want any bullshit about going <laughs> early yes. there's a lot of things we need to explore yes indeed the invitation is open all you've got to do is ring up 3CR, speak mm -hmm. to Leanne and she'll put you down for an hour. Awesome. Yes, That's happy to. I'm really right. happy to. No, re no, because I think it's important. That's what the, this is what this program is about, mm. is actually seeing where people have, who are optimistic, yes. who are active, yeah. where they come from, yeah. why they're like that, yeah. and to actually encourage other people to become optimistic and active because it's very easy to become demoralised Absolutely, absolutely. Connect mm. back up in groups mm. and, and try mm. and aggregate those causes together. And I'll just say one last thing. Radical notions of being radical are so uh, context dependent. And what I mean by that, if we are simply talking about human rights and social justice, the fact that that has become a radical proposition is extraordinary. It's extraordinary, yeah. Um, Public housing is a radical proposition. Well, that's right. So, we're, so radical, yeah, let's all be uh, disobedient. Let's all uh, reactivate our citizenship and ask why. Go back to asking why things the way they are and what can we do. And the best way to do it is to make a decision about where you spend your money and who you support. Good. Well, thank, thank you for you. having me. Thank you, Hannah Asafiri. Hopefully you won't get docked when you go to work. And uh, oh, the invitation is there. The, the invitation okay, yeah. is there. And um, thank you. come back when you thank want you, to. Man. I'm not going to chase you, so you. I'll leave it up to you. Okay, awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Hannah. Thank you. That was great. Yes. Yes. You see, that's very. high praise from Leanne. She praises oh. no one. <laughs> <laughs> very interesting. And, yes, I agree with Joe that you should definitely come back and have another fruitful conversation oh. and it is really amazing that you are so optimistic given given you know everything yeah thank you very much for coming in we'll bye see you later now Leanne I've, we've got a problem we've got 10 minutes Play a song. No, that's, no we don't do music <laughs> on this program I'm unfortunately <laughs> no fortunately because that's the that's the easy way out we have two problems what oh we, yeah we do have problems we have two problems one we need a coffee machine Mm -hmm. So even a percolator would be nice. <laughs> so if there's anybody out there listening mm. who's got a coffee machine that won't explode, that's been serviced, yeah. it would be nice to have it here. But on a more important note, I understand we're starting a... Oh, look at this. She right. left us a cop, some percolated coffee. It is a plunger. We do have a plunger. Is that her plunger? No, that, plunger. That, that's the station's that, plunger. You've hidden that from me from 40 years. I know, it gets, it gets locked up. <laughs> In case it walks out. Now, I understand 
we've got a more serious thing coming up because obviously um, a lot of us are getting older here at 3CR and we're wondering about our mortality. And as most mm-hmm. of us, not all of us, but some of us are atheists and we think death is the end of life. I'm very concerned about the fact that when I come into the studio, there's no defibrillator anywhere in the in, in the building. Mm. And it's not just me, but when I look at the age of many of the presenters mm. here. Well, we have been on air for 40 one year, two, two 42, 42 years. years. 42 years. So, yes, and a lot of people have loved the place and have been here for that entire time, including yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've only been here 41. Oh, 41. Yeah, I, knew, I was never at Mul- <laughs> Mulvern. No, never knew about Mulvern. Yeah. But, look, it, it's a serious thing, and it's, it's about $2,400. Uh, donations to 3CR are tax deductible. Yeah. And we're going to set up a defibrillator fund because if you come here as a guest, you may need a defibrillator. Yeah. And most buildings have defibrillators these days. And we have over 400 volunteers. Right. And then we also have every, you know, guest that comes into the station. Mm. There's there's hundreds of people here each week. In and out. And many, yeah. and many of our volunteers and guests aren't in the best of health. Mm. You know, some of them are elderly. Some of them have got uh, medical issues. And mm. we give voice to people who don't, don't mm. get a voice. And yeah, a lot of them totally. do have physical yeah. uh, incapacities. So yeah. it'll be good to have a defibrillator. So we want one. We want one. So you've got two options. Two options. Very easy. You can either fork up to 2,400. And we'll put your name on the defibrillator. Yeah. We're happy to do that. Or, or, and I'm going to make this a a priority on Radical Australia and even on Talk Back with Attitude tomorrow. Or you can ring up and donate a buck, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. And I'm sure it won't take long to get the 2,400 for a defibrillator. It's not that much, really, when you consider it can save a person's life. Well, An amazing person's And life. guess what? Defibrillators... And and, person's life. Oh, I wouldn't say that's pretty <laughs> amazing, but, uh, you know, defibrillators are very smart these days. All you've got to do is follow the prompts. Mm. They're so easy to apply. Even I can do it, and I've been a doctor for 40 years. So <laughs> it's so easy. Anybody can do it. So, yeah. And so if you know where it is, in the, if it's in the corridor somewhere, bang, do it. Because... You may have noticed at 3CR in the last few years we've kind of lost a number of people. A number of people have died mm. who've been uh, treasured members of uh, this community. Mm. They haven't died here at 3CR, but they have died, and many of them have died through cardiac issues, and, and uh, obviously a uh, defibrillator is there to get a heart beating again. I was going to say maybe we, you should explain a defibrillator in case someone doesn't know what one is. Mm, That's a good right. point. Well, it's a little box. <laughs> And it says, I love you. All right. Well, it doesn't say that. <laughs> Some of them have a heart. All right, all right. Yeah. Now, if somebody drops dead, they drop on the floor, and they're not breathing, and you don't know what to do, all right, they may be in what called, they may have, um, uh, they may have no heartbeat. They may be in asystole, what's called asystole, which means no systolic beat. Mm. Now, when you open the defibrillator and you put the paddles, there are two paddles which you put on put on the chest, one on the front, one on the side usually. If the heart is beating, it will tell you the heart is beating and to look after the airway and don't worry about the heart. If the heart is not beating, it gives the person instructions to administer an electric shock to the heart to try to get the heart re-beating mm-hmm. because in the heart muscles, the, what's called the cardium, the heart is 
broken up into two parts, the atrium and the ventricles. The atrium are basically at the top of the heart. There's a left and a right, and they store blood. And the ventricles is the pump, which pumps the blood through your body, and obviously you need the oxygen from the blood to survive. Now, if your heart stops beating, you've got two to three minutes to restart that heart. If you don't restart that heart within possibly four minutes of the very most, that person will sustain critical brain damage and most likely die. But if you can restart the heart by the use of the defibrillator, which anybody can use, you don't need any medical knowledge or first aid course because the machine will talk you through what to do, Uh, you can actually save that person's life and uh, keep them going until the ambulance arrives and, and does all the right things by them. So that's what a defibrillator is. It restarts that. Because on the outside of the heart, there are all these little channels which are connecting pathways, which, are, which connect electrical impulses, which keep the heart beating. Now, sometimes you can get scar tissue across these little uh, pathways, say from heart disease or a previous heart attack, and the electrical impulse doesn't go through the body through the heart, and the heart stops. And that's what the defibrillator is. Now, look, if there's one thing I must say about uh, the late Kerry Packer, I do have a little bit of respect for him, because uh, he, uh, before he died of uh, renal failure, he had a massive heart attack, and a defibrillator saved his life. And what he did is he actually installed defibrillators in all ambulances in New South Wales at that particular point in time. They didn't actually have defibrillators in ambulances. So... We need a defibrillator. We're getting mm. old, and if you want your nice old people to continue their mm. boring music programs <laughs> or their exciting talk programs, it's nice to have know that there is a defibrillator out there. Mm. Now, the only problem is Leanne said that if I cark it, she's not going to bother. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> I can understand why. <laughs> no. No, no, but it's a serious thing. No. 2,400, you got a tax problem? Beautiful. Mm. Nobody can deny it. Tax deduction. We buy the defibrillator. We'll have a defibrillator party. We'll <laughs> invite you along if you do the 2,400. Yeah. We'll have and we'll have that new coffee machine. I was going to say we might even bring out the plunger. Yeah. No, we'll have a new coffee machine. I'm sure there's somebody out there in some shop listening who's got something in the yeah, background. A little we'll, dripillator or something. No, no, a real coffee machine because <laughs> people buy coffee machines and never use them. Mm, well, Leanne, look, I must thank you for stepping into the breach and I must thank you for uh, putting down Hannah. As a guest, she was an extraordinarily interesting person to uh, have a conversation with. You two did very well today. I very much enjoyed your conversation today. Well, thank you. Great, you know. Uh, Interaction. Interaction and, yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. It's it's the hot Mediterranean blood. (laughs) (laughs) They're south of the Mediterranean. I'm in the middle of the Mediterranean. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Leanne, and I'm looking forward to the uh, next program here at 3CR. Yeah, so coming up next is... Brainwaves after this song, Alan's song by Alan Kibble. I ran into the 
The river in the valley. 